Please listen carefully. Well, hello everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Once again, you're listening to the Heard It Here NBA podcast. As always, no surprise, I'm your host, Cooper Heard. I'm going to be sticking with this series that I've had a couple of iterations of at this point. I've been very interested in the transfer portal. I, I think lots of us across the country as sports fans have been very interested in the transfer portal, uh, whether it be you losing a five-star prospect that didn't pan out in the first year or getting a grad transfer that made an instant impact on your team. Uh, the transfer portal is here, and it's it in combination with NIL has fundamentally shifted the way that, that college basketball works. We now have this period of recruiting that I frankly think is incredible. I think it's a ton of fun to be able to have the recruiting of high school players as well as current college players. Um, last time, I talked about a couple of guys that are pretty high profile. Jalen Cook transferred out of Tulane. He has, uh, he actually started with LSU, played one year, then played two years at Tulane. He has transferred back to LSU uh, with his two years of eligibility. Uh, MJ Rice at Kansas, freshman, he is still not declared. And Brandon Murray, who is a sophomore out of Georgetown, he is also not declared. This week, I'm going to be talking about three more pretty high-profile guys, uh, two more so than the last, especially uh, as recruits go. Uh, I'm going to be talking first, though, about the guy transferring out of Oregon, big prospect Kalel Ware. Kalel was the seventh-ranked prospect coming out of high school this year, the 2022 high school class, ranked seventh by both 247 and Rivals. Uh, he's ranked eighth at ESPN, so a consensus top 10 recruit. He's a seven-foot, 210-pound, mobile, coordinated big who really w- was fundamentally sold as a modern big that could both move on the perimeter defend interior and block shots and then hit threes when called upon i think when you actually look at the tape there's the college tape and the high school tape i first went back and looked at this looked at some of the high school tape because the college stats he only played 552 total minutes um and even that a lot of it was it was weighted towards the beginning of the season so i wanted to take a look first at his high school tape um and I have to say, my main takeaways were just how rough his motor was. That was something that popped off the screen instantly. You could just tell um, the way that he played is like a guy that's used to being big and coordinated and being able to win based on that um, and not necessarily based on uh, the reps that have been put in, in the gym, which is not necessarily an indictment on him as a person, but it is an issue as a basketball player. Um that being said, he does have phenomenal coordination as a seven-footer. Uh, I spoke recently about Victor Wembanyama. Uh, I think what's what's similar um, with Kalel Ware is the way that he's coordinated as a big uh, beyond somebody that, or, or like somebody that is much smaller. He, he's coordinated like a six-foot-six guy would generally be. I think in high school, you know, I noticed in his film he he definitely racked up a lot of blocks that were just kind of easy blocks, you know. Not even necessarily ones he has to track in the air. It's almost just guys shooting into his arm or his extended hand half of the time. That's an exaggeration. But he, he definitely 
had easy pickings in terms of blocks at times. Um, and as a guy that can hit three-pointers at seven feet tall, I mean, you don't have to do a lot else on offense to look appealing. He was not much of a post presence, though, um, and I think that bore out in the college film as well. Uh, I was very disappointed by not necessarily him posting up on offense, but how he shied away from physicality and contact on box outs. He did not seem like a guy that was really interested in going and getting contested rebounds. His blocking was more opportunistic as opposed to, again, being, I've referenced this before, being an every down guy who is consistently deterring rim pressure as opposed to just being somebody that can, you know, get some blocks every once in a while. Maybe guys are kind of worried about, you know, they might be seeing you in the shadows, but if you're not constantly there at the rim, then the guys are going to be able to keep attacking and scoring at a high rate. And I'm a little worried that that's more where it is. It's more of an opportunistic shot blocker. A comparison that I'm not sure is going to come across as a positive one, especially to Pelicans fans, uh, I think he kind of gives me... He, his, his game is reminiscent of Jackson Hayes, uh, who is another guy that is almost seven feet, if not quite, if, if not seven feet at this point very coordinated he was a guy that was a late growth spurt guy he was like a wide receiver in high school growing up before he got too tall to the point where it just didn't really make sense to not focus on basketball Hayes is another guy who's been able to hit some threes in the NBA he has actually carved out a decent backup role it's funny though because it's come more as a power forward at least in my minutes watching Jackson Hayes with the Pelicans over the last year or two. It's because he can't survive at the center position. He's not a constant rim deterrent. He's not a guy that will consistently box out. I mean, imagine if Jackson Hayes was on a different team, right? Jonas Jonas Valančiūnas whenever they played would give him 10 offensive rebounds. And I think that's where Kalel is at, right? He is just somebody that's not just not a it's not just that Khalil's not a positive on the boards, he's an abject negative. And you can't be that as a as a center, as a seven-foot guy that is going to play as a big at the end of the day. Um, that may be as a power forward. Even still, though, I'd be a little nervous about him not getting rebounds, even at that position. I will say, though, the college film, the effort looks better. The motor, I mean, it's it's reasonable. You know, again, he's, he's a high school guy playing against high school competition. Now he's playing in the Pac-12. His motor is ramped up. Like, I, I'm not going to hold that against him. It's not like I think that um, he doesn't care. I think he clearly is trying on the basketball court, and that's all you can really ask for uh, as far as motor is concerned. Is one thing I did notice that was kind of weird, and I, this was from the UCLA-Oregon game specifically, he actually got a couple of post-up looks which were kind of weird. Again, he's not somebody that can really navigate in the post. Wherever he, It's kind of like Wimbenyama in a similar way, where wherever he catches the ball to post up, that's where he's shooting from. He's not getting any closer to the basket by backing in at the very least. Maybe he can sort of fake and then dribble around, but he's not necessarily using his strength to back guys down in literally any situation. Um, the stats on the year, I, I wanted to go over them briefly. The college stats... Uh, at Oregon, again, 552 minutes this year. He had uh, 131 two-point attempts on the year, shot 53% on those. 55 three-point attempts, only shot 27%. Uh, pretty low volume, but still not great. Uh, and 66 free throws, shot 71%. So, again, pretty low percentage, um, especially for a, a seven-foot guy. It, you know, I think that's another indicator that he's 
not necessarily the most physical presence in the world. Um, had 45 blocks in those 552 minutes, only 13 steals. He also only had 18 total assists. He's not necessarily a guy that was around for his, his passing vision, um, but still, that's you know, it's 0.5 assists per game. It's pretty, pretty bad. I mean, it's just nobody should be averaging those few assists. And, and even beyond the stats, I think what the most concerning part of Kalel's season was is the way his his minutes dropped. He played, like I said, 552 total minutes. 245% of those were played in the first 10 games. He averaged 24.5 minutes in the first 10 games. He then played, over the next 25 games, 307 minutes. So over the next 25 games, he averaged 12.2 minutes. So his minutes were literally cut in half after the first 10 games. He did eventually, in the NIT, he worked his way back to 19 minutes, 16 minutes, and 15 minutes. Uh, so slightly higher than that average, but that is after, again, his last five games of the regular season. He played four minutes, two minutes, four minutes, 19 minutes, and nine minutes to close out the season. It's a bad fit, absolutely, but that is that is concerning, to say the least. All in all, I do think I want to emphasize that I, I am very impressed uh, in the growth from high school to college. I was not somebody that was watching Khalil Ware prior to the season, but I think if I'd watched his tape, I would have been very down on him. And watching his college tape makes me a little more hopeful that maybe he can put some of these skills together. Again, though, it's going to be really tough for him to do it as a traditional five-man because he's not much of a rebounder, and I don't think he's a consistent rim deterrent. And I don't think he's going to be able to score around the rim very effectively unless it is being set up on the pick-and-roll, which is more due to the gravity of the ball handler if he's getting open looks on the inside. Certainly what you might like to also see is for him to be a little more consistent on the outside. He's going to have to get those opportunities to make them. He only had one game that he shot even, sorry, two games that he shot more than three three-pointers in a game. Uh, he did, to be fair. He went two of four and then two of nine in those games. So it's not like he was hitting uh, at, at a high volume. But that would be another place where he might be able to expand his game, especially at the college level. You know, eventually, I think even in the NBA, he can be a maybe not a constant rotation level player, but a backup that can maybe get some rotation minutes in the regular season in spot situations. I I do think he will need to be more of a power forward. I think that's more likely where he, he finds success in the NBA, especially if he really works on his shooting, right? I think that's going to be the thing. Is he's super coordinated, right? He really is coordinated. I think he can make devastating weak side blocks. I think he can develop even a, like a functional handle, maybe sort of a Nas Reed type of guy, right? That's probably who he should model his career after. Another guy who I think Nas was a uh, borderline five-star, if not a five-star prospect in, a, in his own right. I just would say don't count on him to grab a bunch of rebounds uh, or box out at any point in his career. He's probably going to develop into a good pick-and-roll partner and can can be a transition threat and can block some block some shots at times. So I think there's certainly value to Kalal Ware's game, and I'd be very excited to see where he goes this next year. I think he can make a big impact at the college level. The experts so far seem to all think that Kalal's going to end up at Indiana with Mike Woodson as the coach. I'm totally fine with that. I, I don't really have a strong preference as to where he goes. I think he should, again, stay in a, in a power conference, but... I would certainly hope that if he goes there, he has a high-level point guard to transfer in with him. 
It'd be awesome if he was going there with Jalen Hachifino. And I actually would need to look at the recruits that are coming into Indiana to see if there's anybody uh, high level as point guard that might be able to pair with him. But I think that could be a, a super advantageous situation for both players uh, if there's a point guard that can come in and really complement Kalel's game and set him up on the interior and at the three-point line as well. So moving on, we'll talk uh, next about a guy who was a much less heralded freshman this year, Andrew Rohde, the 316th ranked recruit per 247's composite rankings. Uh, this guy's a six foot six, 185 pound. I would describe him as a combo guard rather than a pure point guard or a pure shooting guard. Uh, he played in the Summit Conference at St. Thomas, Minnesota. The school literally was in its first year of being a D1 program, so definitely not a high level of competition day in, day out. But Rhodey did average 17 points, 4 assists, 4 rebounds, as well as 1.7 steals on some pretty decent shooting splits, 45% overall from the field, 32% from three, which is actually lower than I was expecting after having watched him, uh, and 81% on at the free throw line. Again, he profiles as more of a combo guard than a pure point guard, but I, I like his handle. I think he has a good tendency of being able to get downhill and maintain sort of a dribble that is a little bit out in front of him, but in his pocket so that he can sort of, it's what I've traditionally heard is trap a defender on your back. He's very good at that. So he's very good at maintaining a live dribble while driving into the paint, while being being in the paint area. I was impressed with him as a finisher. Uh, I think his shooting is the thing that really that really flashes at first. He's got a lightning quick release on his three-point shot. I think he is somebody that hit more of his shots in the corners and at standstill situations. But I think in the long term, he may have some ability to do some movement shooting. Uh, Jordan Hawkins is obviously the guy that comes to mind. He's not going to be anything like that, don't get me wrong. But I really like how quick his release is. And I think if he can move to some spots and get balance, I think his release is going to be quick enough that he can get off some relatively contested shots while still being able to maintain his balance. I think I think the biggest defining thing for Rhodey, especially in terms of being a potential NBA project down the line, is how he's going to be as a pick-and-roll operator. Uh, he had a lot of pick-and-roll reps on the year relative to what I would have expected from a six-foot-six guy. He had 95 pick-and-roll reps, turned 72 of those into shots. Not the most efficient on those, 38% on 48 twos out of pick-and-roll, and then 33% on 8 out of uh, eight out of 24 threes. Again, that's a third of his threes. Uh, so it's pretty inefficient from two, but again, I think what's really impressive is the ability to keep his dribble alive and then facilitate from that angle or finish if he still only ha if if the help is not sufficiently closing in on him because I do think he's a good finisher and the stats bear that out. He is 59% on 137 total layups and 99 of those were half court attempts where he was again he was 56% on half court layups. That's pretty dang good. Uh, again, six foot six. Solid ball handler. I'm not surprised that he was pretty good at getting to the rim, especially not, to be fair, in the Summit Conference, in the Summit League. But he did have a game against Creighton that I watched uh, prior to this where he looks pretty impressive. He looked like he could hang as an athlete. Uh, certainly not a, an explosive athlete, but somebody that is more than more than able to hold his own. He, he scored like 15 points in that game, but got up a decent number of shots. And again, puts pressure on the rim at a really impressive rate. A couple more shooting stats. 
He is virtually the same on unguarded three-point catch-and-shoot shots as he is on guarded shots, which is a little weird. This is It's pretty small volume, around 60 shots for each of those, both around 34%. So, again, he's like a 33% shooter from three. That's definitely lower than it should be, but 54 off-the-dribble threes. He shot 30% on those, which is, again, it's not particularly efficient, but... It's actually, it's a pretty good indicator, and I was pretty impressed at a couple of the shots he took that were pretty long range, or just some weird situational shots that looked more uncomfortable coming out of his hands than they did actually going through the rim. The one thing I'll say about his long-term college role is that I do think he should be a full-time port guard in the col- at the college level. I would expect him to transfer to a high major school you know, I, I don't necessarily know that he needs to go to Duke and try to start there, but I would like to see him at one of these SEC schools, a Big East school maybe. Um, if he wants to stay closer to home, maybe a Big Ten school. He's from Wisconsin. I can't say I've heard a ton of rumors about where he's particularly going, but I think he should go somewhere where he can be a legit bona fide point guard because I think in the NBA he would be a combo guard as again more of a backup long-term role but I think he's got the shooting form and eventually will put up the numbers in the coming years uh, to prove that he is a real shooter and, and a real difficult shot maker from behind the arc but I think what he really needs to do to prove himself is like a, a real second round pick you gotta be a point guard you gotta prove that look I can actually get the paint and create like I can be the hub of our offense uh, and I think he's capable of it. Go to Vanderbilt or go to Georgia or, I don't know, go to St. John's with Rick Pitino. I don't know if Walter Clayton's going there or not. But, you know, I think he's I think he's just got a lot of skills. Uh, and at 6'5", I think he's going to be athletic enough to survive on defense. And I think his handle and his shot package, his vision, I think it's really good. Um, oftentimes watching him, I forget he's a freshman, which is a good sign. Yeah, that's Andrew Rohde. Uh, I'll go ahead and move on next to... A guy that's definitely more high-profile this year and is a recruit coming out. Uh, this is Ryan Nimhard. Uh, he was the 69th recruit per, again, 247's composite rankings back in 2021. Played two years now at Creighton. He has started every game, both freshman and sophomore year, all 64 games. Averages over 34 minutes a game, which is, that's pretty impressive. Obviously, this was a very good Creighton team this year, uh, and he was an integral part of it. I would argue he was maybe one of their two or three best players, and there were certainly a lot to choose from. The one downside in terms of his NBA projections, he's a six-foot point guard. He's six foot tall. It is what it is. Uh, 170 pounds, definitely not like the most high-volume scorer in the world. 12 points a game, but 12 points, four rebounds, and five assists. Uh, Also, 0.7 steals, but he averaged 1.3 steals last year, so not totally sure what to make of that. I I don't make much of it. Uh, I think he's probably capable of getting some steals. He's certainly athletic enough to do so. The biggest thing for him, honestly, Ryan Nimhart is a pretty easy pitch for me. He can shoot, he can finish, and he can pass. Those are kind of the three main things you need to do to run an offense, and he can do all three of them at a high level. Career shooting, 47.1% on his twos, total 400 attempts, 33.7 on total 205 threes attempts, which that's certainly lower than you would like, but 81.6% on 141 total free throws. So again, a guy kind of like Rody, who the free throw indicator might be a little more telling of his actual shooting touch. And part of that for Nimhart especially is because he takes some pretty difficult attempts. I definitely think he's a good, tough shot maker. 
especially on the perimeter. But that's the thing is he's not just a good shooter. He's also a really good finisher. And the thing that really stood out to me is he's exceptionally good at using a screen to get into the paint. He had a total 192 reps in pick and roll this past year. 147 of them ended up as field goal attempts for himself. He shot 42% on 110 twos and 38% on just 37 threes, but still impressive to get that efficiency out of pick and roll. On top of that, he's just really good at layups. He's 99 layups in the half court, shooting 52.5%, which, again, for a smaller point guard, that's very impressive. And then there's the passing, the playmaking. He's excellent at passing guys open in multiple situations, both from a standstill and on the move. I think is a transition passer is where he really will shine as well. Um, I, I think, too, he's an underrated athlete. Did He only had one dunk on the year, but his dunk, again, I was re-watching the Creighton-Arkansas game. It came in a one-point game with only a couple minutes left, and it was an absolute hammer. I mean, it was phenomenal that the announcers, you know, reacted like, they had just seen, you know, a Zion dunk. And part of it, yes, is because he's a little smaller and because you don't see it all the time. But it was also just a really powerful dunk. Uh, he's also got elite high-end speed. I think very often you see him just sprinting on the perimeter and outrunning guys. He's also very good at, I, I've sort of seen this talked about, of like conserving your dribbles where he can get the long dribbles where like you, you need to cross the court in four dribbles or you need to get from the three-point line to the... Uh, to the paint in one or two dribbles. He's very good at getting those long push-off dribbles in short spaces, in like half-court settings, which I think is something that is probably something that will help him accentuate his speed, especially in half-court settings. I think that's a big part of why he's efficient getting to the rim uh, and get off of pick and roll. Is that probably helps you accelerate a lot. Uh, he's also just got really good body control. Again, when he gets in the paint, he doesn't really panic. Um, he's good. Sometimes he can maintain his dribble. Oftentimes he just keeps his pivot foot, and he's really good at just pivoting around, which is, again, really impressive for a guy you know that's not the tallest. As far as his future, though, I definitely think he's a guy that if he came out this year, I would like as a, as a candidate for a two-way contract. It's six-foot guards. It's just it's a crapshoot in the NBA at this point. Um, what I will say is I have no doubt that uh, Ryan Demhardt's going to be a professional basketball player for as long as he wants to be and as long as his body holds up. I don't know if he'll be in the NBL or in the ACB or the G League or in the NBA, uh, but he's a professional, no doubt about it. He's a great player. As far as his next year of college, I think he's a chance to really be an elite college point guard next year. Like somebody that's on the... John Wooden shortlist. Maybe not a winner of that award, but somebody that puts up real buzz for it. Right now, and again, he only announced his intentions to transfer two days ago on the 7th. It's currently the 9th that I'm recording. He is currently projected by all the experts to go to Arizona, which is interesting. He would potentially be alongside Omar Ballo and I guess Azulis Tabellis. I'm pretty confident he's coming, he's coming out and going pro, but uh, Balo, certainly, I would expect, I would be less certain on, on him coming out. I think he's got at least a year of eligibility. But that would be cool, that's fine and all. I think Ryan Nimmar would be a great player to pair with Kalel Ware. Uh, whether they go to Indiana, Arizona, whether they go to... I don't care where they go. I just think that is the type of player. Again, I mentioned earlier that Kalel needs somebody that can accentuate his strengths, right? Get in the pick and roll, has their own gravity so that when he gets out to the three-point line, he's unguarded. 
and occasionally he's able to duck in as a roller and just get some easy looks that way. I think Nembhard is that type of guy, right? He's going to draw that pressure. He's going to get Kalel in, in good spots, and he's also just going to be able to exploit Kalel's the attention that he gets to the three-point shooter as well. I think Ryan Nembhard would be a great a great scorer off of Kalel where pick and rolls. So that's the pairing I think would be awesome, not just for us as fans, but for both of their development tracks. So that's what I'm looking forward to for Ryan Nembhard, and that's what I'm thinking about these three guys. Again, Kalal Ware, Andrew Rohde, Ryan Nimhard, all big-time transfers, all guys that I think have potential as NBA prospects, either in 2024 or potentially even further down the road. All right, folks, that's going to be it for this episode. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the Heard It Here NBA podcast. I'm hoping to have some more good content coming down the line. Hoping to maybe bring some guests on the show. Uh, or maybe even show up on some other shows on the, in the draft, in the NBA draft Twitter sphere. I'm just anything where I can talk hoops. I'm always happy to do it. So, hope y'all enjoyed. Hope y'all stay tuned in the future. Uh, like, subscribe, leave a review, anything you can do like that. I would truly appreciate it. Anything that can be is well appreciated. So, thanks as always. Peace, y'all.